It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Here's Donald. Carry it out. Deep ball. Separation. Caught. Robbie Anderson. Goodbye. Touchdown, Jets. The whole NFL is watching. A fourth and ten. And here they come. Make this pass. It's intercepted by Mosley. Maybe on down the top. Bell breaks a tackle. Looking downfield, fires this one, and intercepted at the 34. Jamal Adams goes down on the ground and takes it away. He'll hit immediately. He got the handoff. You know and that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen. Thank you. From the Vivid Seats Studios, use the promo code OVERTIME to get yourself up to 100 bucks off on your first purchase when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined for a breaking news podcast. This was supposed to be X and O Quick Hits with Joe Blewett. Instead, we'll bring that to you tomorrow. There was just too much news. We could not wait. We had to do this because on any other day, the fact that the Jets' star running back needed an MRI on his shoulder would have been the number one story. On any other day... The fact that one of the Jets' star-wide receivers has a broken neck is going to miss the rest of the season would be the biggest story. On any other day, the fact that even a backup defensive lineman got suspended for six games for repeated use of PEDs could be the biggest story. On any other day, the fact that the Jets just acquired a wide receiver who was once a Pro Bowler for Adam Gase and was acquired from the Mighty Patriots could have been the biggest story, but none of those are the biggest story today because instead we are going to talk about how the Jets' star quarterback is going to be out at least for a couple of weeks, possibly more, because he has mono. This is unbelievable, Chris. Of all the things that I thought could have happened to this team, this is number one on things I never, ever in a million years would have guessed. Yeah. I mean, what do you even say? I, I like... I obviously I'm clearly no doctor, nor do I play one on TV, but I was, I told this to you before I was joking with a friend. I was, I didn't even know adults could get mono, but apparently they can, uh, you know, obviously uh, growing up when people would get mono, it was always referred to as the kissing disease. Now I, I did a little bit of quick Google research. It, it, you can get it from also sharing drinks with somebody. Um, but this is obviously totally unexpected. And this story, like you just ran through a list of big stories, but this story eclipses all those stories. Uh, the, the rest of those stories, how big or important they are, it pales in comparison to Sam Darnold uh, having to miss not only this week, but likely the next couple of games. And uh, I mean, I'm seeing here that uh, it could be contagious for a, a lot longer. It could be contagious, possibly contagious for up to 18 months. So I don't know what they'd do there, how, how they'd even go about that. But um, yeah, this is no good. Obviously, I guess um, with mono, your spleen gets enlarged. So you really can't be out there playing football. Um, but yeah, this is no good. I mean, the, the Trevor Simeon's now the quarterback. 
we are, there was enough concerns about this team beforehand. I don't know what else to say, but this is not good. I'm sorry that's terrible analysis because you fans already know that this is not good. Unbelievable is the only word I could use for this. Chris, the only thing I can say here is that I'm completely puzzled as to how Sam Darnold even got on the field to play on Sunday against the Buffalo Bills. This explains a lot. For anybody that has never had mono, I can tell you right now, because I had it myself once, it is completely debilitating. It's something where you could barely move, let alone get out on the football field. This explains a lot why there weren't a lot of rollouts. This explains a lot why he looks so lethargic in general, why he underthrew a bunch of passes. He had absolutely no strength. So for everybody that was looking at this game and saying, I've lost all confidence in Sam Darnold, he's not the future, or whatever else it is they wanted to proclaim after one performance that wasn't very good, you can rethink that now. I have no idea how he even played in this game, to be perfectly honest with you, because like I said, it's hard enough getting out of bed, let alone going out there and playing a professional football game. Chris, as we record this, I'm also going back and forth with Dr. Steven Stoller. We've got a lot to talk about when he comes on the show to go over the injury report. We're going to talk a lot about Le'Veon Bell, who we'll get to in a bit, Quincy Anunua, who we'll get to in a bit, and of course, Darnold. But for now, what he just texted me is, it looks like three to four weeks for regular recovery, but even when he comes back, he's still going to be lethargic because it causes your spleen to enlarge. It's also going to, as a result of that, make him more susceptible to other injuries because contact sports and an enlarged spleen, not a good combination. He said he may actually need an entire episode to explain the depths of this. So that should tell you what the Jets are looking at right now when it comes to Sam Darnold and the road to recovery, even when he comes back, which I can only assume at the earliest is going to be after the bye. He's still not going to be at 100% for a while. Trevor Simeon is going to take the reins for a couple of games. All due respect to Trevor Simeon. The Jets were fighting an uphill battle to begin with. Underdogs at home against the Cleveland Browns. Underdogs against the New England Patriots. And this just took a really nasty turn. There are a lot of people that were speculating that the Jets could get off to an 0-6 start if things didn't go well early on. I don't want to think that way. I'm still going to try and be positive about this. But, oh, man, Chris, this news does not help the positivity that I'm trying to muster right now. Yeah, it most certainly does not. Uh, I'm I'm not going to uh, sit here and go out of my way to muster up positivity. I'm honestly thinking right now at this point, I, I, like, why even play him? If they're going to go and, you know, start out around 0-6 or if you're going to bring him back after for that Eagles game or the week after and we're going to be talking about a, even a slight increase in risk to injury for him and even if he's – like, here's something people got to take into consideration. Again, I'm comparing – all I know Amano is what I knew in, like, middle school and high school – it's one thing to be like, okay, I'm healthy enough to go sit in class. It's another thing to say, hey, I'm healthy enough to go play quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> so, like, that that's a whole other thing. Maybe he can go to a show in a month or so. He can show up and go to the facilities, and he can participate in, in the film room and in all the meetings. But that's a whole other story to be out there throwing a football around. And if you have even a slight increase of injury risk from that, 
why even do that? And after the start of this, the schedule, how it starts, if they're one in five or one in seven or, you know, whatever, at that point, why even risk it? Um, on a, on a side note, this is exactly why I, I refuse to talk about, uh, playoff mandates or having to have a mandate on a certain amount of wins for coaches because as, as bad as, Gates looked, uh, and the offense looked. Even even if we don't tie this into it, um, as bad as it looked, and as much as I'm still not sold on Gates, I don't know how you turn around at the end of the season and be like, "Yep, got to hold him accountable." Now that uh, they lost one of the starting receivers to a, a second neck injury, and uh, oh yeah, by the way, the quarterback got mono and he's going to miss at least uh, a month of the season. So uh, this is why I'm against it. Things come out of, of your control and that you can't prepare for, you can't be ready for. Um, but, yeah, you can you try to be positive, try to hope they can win. Uh, I get it. But uh, we talked about this all offseason. If Sam Darnold had to miss an extended period of time, this team wasn't going to be winning games. And we were talking about that, thinking about it like, Maybe he gets hurt in the middle of the season, towards the end of the season, when the schedule gets easier. Trevor Simeon going up against the Browns, Patriots, Eagles, Cowboys, Patriots, Jags. That yikes, yikes, yikes. This has potential to get very ugly very quickly. I just hope that there's some way that Trevor Simeon can keep this ship afloat. I'm not super optimistic about it, but I will say this, Chris. At least Trevor Simeon is a capable NFL quarterback. There have been times in the past when the Jets didn't even have that as a backup, so there's that at least. we got to keep our fingers crossed for Monday, but this is definitely a crippling blow. And like I said, the thing that makes this even harder to swallow is the fact that even when Darnold comes back, he's not going to be at full strength for a while and I'll get into this more with Dr. Stoller over the weekend when he comes on the show. But there's a long road ahead for Sam Darnold, and this is going to be a difficult process for Jets fans to watch. We all went into this season with a lot of optimism, and a lot of it was built around Darnold and Le'Veon Bell, who we're going to get into in a second. And unfortunately, this is not the way that we pictured this starting, but it's the reality now. So the Jets will roll with Trevor Simeon for a while and hope for the best. They hopefully will have Le'Veon Bell with Trevor Simeon at least, but we don't know. Didn't hear this after the game, but now it's coming out. Le'Veon Bell needed an MRI on his shoulder. What do we know about this, Chris? Not much, to be honest. Um, Le'Veon talked yesterday. There was no mention of it. Gates didn't mention it uh, in the presser yesterday. Gates mentioned it today. And, uh, you know, obviously... uh, everybody was kind of blindsided about the Darnold thing and was caught off guard with that. So it's not like uh, everybody was on uh, ready to pounce on asking more information about Bell. Uh, we, we know he's getting an MRI, and we know this is what all NFL teams and coaches do. If a, if a player's going to get an MRI, whether it would, no matter what they think, if they think it's going to be a big injury, if they're, if they're hopeful, they always are just going to say, we're going to wait on the results for the MRI. So, um, yeah, I mean, that that's really it. Le'Veon Bell, Sam Darnold, same week. One guy definitely out for a while. The other guy possibly missing some action. I think if Sam Darnold and Le'Veon Bell both don't play against the Cleveland Browns, 
It's not exactly a positive sign. One other guy that we know for sure that is not going to be playing is Quincy Inunua. This is a shame. I hate to say, Chris, but you and I have talked about this a lot. Quincy Inunua is a very talented wide receiver. In a lot of ways, reminded me of Anquan Bolden. Thought he could have been a really productive player here. But I think Jets fans far too often saw the idealized version of Quincy Inunua. And the idealized version was the version of Quincy that actually stayed on the field. That version of Quincy hasn't been a reality in several years. And now he breaks his neck. He's going to miss the rest of the season. This is really sad in so many ways, Chris. I think he would have done really well in this Gase offense if given a chance. Now we know why he was so ineffective on Sunday, in addition to Darnold, who was ineffective because of mono. Like I said, now we know that it wasn't Darnold's development taking a step back. It was the fact that he could barely move. Well, now we know it wasn't Quincy Newman not fitting into the Gase offense. It was that he was attempting to play with what we later found out was a broken neck. Unreal. Yeah, absolutely unreal and an absolute shame. You know, uh, I've been covering this team for 10 years. Uh, I I think it was the year before or a couple of years before uh, Quincy got uh, taken by Idzik. Uh, Besides Bilal Powell, he's the one that's been there the longest. Um, And he was somebody who was always great to talk to. He's just a really good guy, somebody you really root for. I talk about this all the time with uh, covering NFL team. You don't root for team to win games, but you, unless you don't have a soul, you have to. You can't help but root for certain people sometimes. Uh, Quincy's always been so great, and he's such a hard worker. Coming from where he was drafted uh, and coming out of Nebraska, where he was really just looked at as like a blocking wide receiver, how hard he worked to develop his game to turn it into a, a dangerous weapon when he could stay healthy. Um, and like you said, we saw brief glimpses of that, but then it was one injury after another, and it just wasn't. And then, you know, this is what happens with a lot of injuries. You injure one part of your body, and then that heals, but you, you overcompensate, and it ends up throwing something off on your body. And I can imagine that a neck injury being one of those injuries is going to do that even more so. Um, and he worked really hard. He loves this game. He loves football. He loves being a Jet. He loves the area. And for this to happen, I, I obviously haven't talked to him, but I know he's got to be crushed by this. Um, obviously, fans are looking at con- contract and, uh, you know, going and putting blame on McCagnan, which I understand, but – uh, they, this is just terrible. He, he, he's, you know, this is the game of football. Uh, this inherent risk that these players take, but you can, you never obviously want to see something like this. Obviously, we're, for, he's fortunate, we're fortunate that it's not a, you know, a severe neck injury to the point where, like, we're talking about being paralyzed or anything, but it, a neck injury is scary no matter what. Uh, I've slept on my neck wrong in the mo- and then woken up in the morning and been like, ah, and that was scary. Like that, you know, and that's obviously nothing compared to, th- to this. So you got to, your heart goes out to him and you, you have to feel sympathy for him. I'm going to talk to Dr. Stoller about this more when he appears over the weekend, because obviously this is his area of expertise. But Chris, based on the conversation he and I had during the summer about Quincy Nunwa, where he said, one more serious injury to that neck, 
and that was going to be the end because he'd be risking permanent paralysis. I think there's a very strong chance that this ends Quincy Inunua's career, which is sad, but the reality is this is football, and when you're talking about grown men at 240, 250, 300 pounds smashing into each other, play after play after play, if you have that kind of injury where one more serious hit could put you in a wheelchair, you really can't take that risk. We're going to find out more as the weeks and months roll on as far as what's next for Quincy and Nuno, and we're going to talk to Dr. Stoller more about it over the weekend. But my initial impression is that, unfortunately, it's probably an early retirement for Quincy. Yeah, I remember talking to Quincy when he came back from the neck injury the last time about you know how scary it was and everything. And it was it was terrifying to him, uh, but he had this motivation to get back and to to work through it. And he believed in himself that he'd be able to come back and return. Like I said, he loves this game. He loves this, uh, the team and the area. Like he wanted to come back and do it. Uh, Quincy's a really smart and thoughtful guy. Um, I I can I imagine that he, he's gonna have to look at this. Obviously, you know I don't know any of the health, uh, you know, ramifications that come. Uh, but I, I have to think that he's going to be sitting here thinking long and hard about retiring. Um, I know he was, was, when I was talking to him, he was just like, yeah, man, you know, I, these injuries, uh, they keep popping up. I'm working through them. Uh, but, like, it, just like with Andrew Luck, it was one injury after another with him, and the rehab process became too much for him. And you know he's not—he wasn't dealing with a neck injury, something that could possibly risk paralyzing him. It was just he spent five, almost five years rehabbing. I have a feeling that Quincy's going to be like, I don't know if I can do this anymore, and I don't know if it's worth it to do this. And that's without even knowing, uh, like I said, the risk that would go into it. So it, it's it's very—you you never want to see a player's career cut short like this. Um, but uh, and I'm I'm obviously not speaking for him. Who knows exactly what his mindset is? Maybe he's sitting there thinking I'm going to come back from this too. But uh, you got to think the the chances that he might have played his last game are fairly good at this point. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. 
Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. With your host, Scott Mason. Now let's talk about Nathan Shepard. Obviously nowhere near as important because he's a backup player and it's not like he had some sort of injury, but six weeks for PEDs, apparently multiple times he tested positive. This, of course, Chris, begs the question, how bad would he have been without the PEDs? Oh, that's, uh, see, I, I was trying not to make this joke but now you just went and and baited me into it. Now I can't help it. I know he uh, admitted to it, but I don't believe him. I don't believe he took him because I have seen no poor performance enhancement. <laughs> um, I, I was going to try to not make that joke, but I, I couldn't avoid it after that setup. Um, yeah, you know, and here's the thing, too. To, uh, they had nine defensive linemen. They still have nine defensive linemen because they picked up Jordan Willis from the Bengals. Um, they had nine defensive linemen. They only played five of them, though. Four of them were inactive, and Quinn and Williams got hurt after only playing, like, you know, 10, 10 reps or whatever. And then all of a sudden, the Jets were down to four defensive linemen for the entire game. And you wonder why the defense started to look slow and lost the energy after Mosley went and went injured. Well, maybe because four defensive linemen, we, we talked all off season about this defensive line rotation and somehow they got themselves in a predicament in the first week of the first game where they only had four defensive linemen out there and they just, they had to keep going out there and playing and playing and couldn't be rotating and doing this. What's the point of having nine defensive linemen if you're only going to be starting playing five of them and then one of them gets injured and all of a sudden you're down to four. Um, so yeah, that who knows what's going on there. That, that doesn't seem wise, but you know, Nathan, she- I was surprised Nathan Shepard even made the team. So I, you know, and then obviously they're going to have to do a lot more roster juggling here. Probably going to need to bring in another re- receiver still in addition to Demarius Thomas, they're going to need to, uh, you know, they could activate Luke Falk, but maybe they get another uh, quarterback. You'd put him on the practice squad or whatever. Um, they're going to, you know, what happens with Le'Veon Bell? Maybe they need to do something there. There's so much to do. So when Nathan Shepard comes back, you could very likely see him end up getting released at that point. But obviously this isn't good for him. Um, he said he he took him to come back to get back from the injury uh, injuries that he suffered, but he like I said he was on this the the bubble of the roster to begin with. They they were keeping so many defensive linemen as they had holes elsewhere, and uh, I, it just I I don't see the point of bringing him back once he clears here uh, once once he's able to come back. 
unless Greg Williams sees something in him and really likes him and thinks that he could develop into something, they should just cut bait now. If they needed an excuse, this is the excuse. I know he was a third-round pick last year, but so what? Ultimately, what it comes down to is you got to cut bait on a guy if he shows you nothing and then causes additional trouble on top of it. So unless Greg Williams really believes that Nathan Shepard can become a very good player, just get rid of him and bring in somebody else who could help out in another position where they could seriously use some help, including, like you said, wide receiver. The Jets did go out and get a little bit of help. Demarius Thomas, it was a bit of a strange deal when we first heard it. Then the Quincy Noonwin news broke, and it made a lot more sense. Essentially, the Patriots were looking to clear room for Antonio Brown, so they were looking to get rid of Demarius Thomas. They traded him into division to Joe Douglas and Adam Gase. It's a curious move, but I think it's just one of those things where it's somebody that Bill Belichick's not really worried about. It's not like he thinks Demarius Thomas is going to have some sort of major impact. He would rather get something than let Demarius Thomas go for nothing, so he's willing to deal him for a conditional pick that in all likelihood he won't actually even see. And then from there, you have Demarius Thomas coming in here, somebody who is a good veteran in the locker room. He's got a championship pedigree. Of course, he was a multiple-time Pro Bowler. Shell of himself hasn't been what he used to be for several years now already, but he's familiar with the Gase offense. He's solid depth. They gave up a conditional late-round pick in the 2021 draft that, as I said, the Patriots probably won't even get. So this move is fine in a vacuum. I just think that if you are believing that Demarius Thomas is anything more than a depth piece at this point, you're very much being overly optimistic. Well, I, I, I disagree with that a little bit, only because he's going to have to be more than depth. Okay, I'll rephrase. What I mean is, if you think that he's going to be anything more than a third-slash-fourth-ish type production receiver, yeah. then you're sadly mistaken. He's not the Demarius Thomas from the Peyton Manning years or even the Tim Tebow years, not by any stretch. He's a guy that might make a play here and there, but he's just a guy filling out a space on the roster. They're going to use him out of necessity. They didn't get some sort of impact player. That's really more what I'm saying. Yes, agreed. Um, and I, but I, I just had to throw that in there because obviously it's Robbie and Jamison Crowder. De- Demarius Thomas is going to have to get plenty of reps right now. Um, but yeah, listen, he's 31 years old. His game fell off before he suffered the Achilles injury at the end of last season. So if, if you have high expectations for him, dial those back and then dial them way back even further. But when they made the trade at the time, I was like, yeah, this is, this makes sense. This is a good guy to bring in there. Absolutely worth a 2021 six round pick to roll the dice and see what happens there. Um, as a depth piece, as a veteran in the locker room. Now, obviously with Quincy being out and, it makes it even more understandable to go after him. He has the familiarity with Gase and that offense. And just looking around at what's available out there, I probably the best of a bunch of bad options. So it makes sense. I get it. Um, and it it's absolutely worth worth doing that trade. But if you're if you're sitting here holding out hope that, especially now with. You know, maybe he could have surprised us with Darnold, a healthy Darnold. I I can't imagine that any of us are going to be really surprised with Trevor Simeon there. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Whatever we're talking about here is just bad. It's just disaster. Everything's disastrous. It really is, including the fact that we still don't know for 100% certain that C.J. Mosley and Quinn and Williams are going to play. The buzz earlier this week was that Mosley was likely to play, but now it's been scaled back to he might play. Quinn and Williams still very much up in the air. Do we know anything more about those two situations? No, not right now. I, I know Mosley was was saying that he he could he'll be able to play. He feels like he'll be able to play. Um, Quinnen, you know, he had the sprained ankle. He was in a boot. Gase said that uh, he was moving fine. Neither of them are going to practice today, but that was to be expected. But you know, with an ankle injury to a defensive lineman, I was thinking, you know, it's probably one of those th- situations where they could play him this week but they'd probably be better off holding them out, especially since that's the one area of this team that does actually have some depth. Uh, you're just going to have to activate them for the game. And and at this point, again, I was talking about what will be the point of rushing Darnold back. What's the point of rushing either of those two back? And same goes for Le'Veon Bell. With the way that this is going, uh, and, you know, obviously if they're healthy and they can play, then, then play them. But if there's any concern at all, then I'd sit them out this game. I, I wouldn't even bother. I just chalk it up as a loss. This week has gone – it's been a terrible, no good disaster of a week all around. And you want to – if you're going to try to force guys to play before they're ready, it could just get worse, which sounds crazy to think about at this point. How much worse could it get? Well, losing C.J. Mosley and Quinn and Williams – for an extended period of time, could make it a lot worse. Chris, am I wrong to think now that regardless of whether or not you thought Gase was 100% safe, no matter what happened throughout this season, unless it was a disaster of epic proportions, that has now intensified because it's going to be almost impossible to make a legitimate case that he doesn't deserve to come back next year, even if the team starts 0-6 because of all this mess that he now has to deal with? You're you're right to to think that I will I will add this one caveat, and it's all about Gase himself and how he handles things going forward. Uh, if he continues to go and throw players under the bus and completely alienate the locker room, if if uh, he makes a big enough mess with just things that he says and does, then maybe it turns into such a bleep show that. Uh, Christopher Johnson's just like I just just get uh, I'm done with this start all over again but as long as he doesn't do something or say a bunch of stuff to to create more of a mess himself then yeah I mean I don't know how you can't give him a pass on this season um, if that's how it turns out Uh, if it's you know if Darnold misses the first of the next five weeks now and six and then he comes or whatever However it plays out, I don't know how he can't get a, a pass on it. I feel like he has to unless he does something himself. Like that is just like, you know, all right, whatever. This, this You're not handling this right and we got to move on. 
Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. With your host, Scott Mason. One other thing with Gase that we didn't talk about earlier, I have to wonder now if Gase tailored that game plan to the fact that Darnold was so physically limited, and maybe that is why everything looks so vanilla on Sunday against the Buffalo Bills. Gase realized that he wasn't playing with a full deck, and in the presser, he didn't want to give the game away and let everybody know what was going on with Darnold until they found out exactly what the story was. I don't know that for sure. I'm just guessing right now, but it seems plausible. Yeah, it definitely seems plausible. I know one of the biggest reactions everyone had right after the game was Darnold's strength is rolling out and throwing the ball on the run. Why did we see none of that? The only time we saw something close to that was uh, at that play at the goal line where they did the little read option. He pulled back and then threw it uh, to Ryan Griffin, and they got called back because of uh, they called a pass interference in Quincy Nunwa. And that, but that was just like a step or two even. And that was the closest he got to really running with it or any type of uh, play design there. And it was, it was jarring to think that you went through that whole game like that, especially against a Bills defensive line and with the Jets offensive line, that you, why you wouldn't try to get him on the move. Well, this is, explains it maybe partially just because that, you know, him, the physical part of him, doing that rolling out and running with the ball. Also, maybe they're thinking that doing that might expose him to getting hit and uh, in, in different ways and hurt in different ways. So it, it's hard to imagine that that game plan is, especially everything that we heard and saw in the offseason and training camp and preseason, everything we saw led you to believe that this offense was going to be way different than what we saw on Sunday. I I I'm I was at a loss for trying to explain it before, but now now I, this is uh, Occam's razor again. The simplest explanation is usually the right explanation, and this is by far the simplest explanation I've ever seen for anything. I want to get your take on this too, really quickly, because I talked to Manish about it the other day, and he was pretty emphatic about the fact that. Adam Gase embarrassed himself in that press conference where he was more or less shutting down questions and giving glib answers. I was sort of more in the middle. My thought is one press conference, one loss, it's not that big of a deal. And Gase is a jerk, but so what? And yes, he's blunt, but so what? My only thought is, and it's very realistic, especially now with Darnold Hurt and the fact that the Jets were underdogs the next five weeks to begin with, if this team gets to say 0-6, and Gase is still behaving like that. It's cute now, but it's not going to be so cute when this team has racked up six losses in a row. Nobody's going to be in the mood for it. Yeah, see, I was in the middle of this too, and you know, I saw a, a, a bunch of the other beat writers were talking about how it was refreshing, and I saw fans talking about how everybody, everybody on the beat loved it except for Manish. Well, let me just say this: the it's refreshing to us as reporters to hear this, especially mm-hmm. coming from Bowles, who wouldn't give anything. 
because it makes our job more enjoyable and it makes our job easier. And I think that's what the other beat writers were reacting to more than anything else. Where Manish was taking more of a, this is going to be bad if this continues. Um, and now him being short and glib with us, I, who cares? I, I don't care about that. The mm-hmm. players don't care about that. Um, that's not going to have any effect on it. But it is, he, Manish is right that if they start out 0-6 and, and he's doing this, it's going to play a whole lot worse. And if he's not – one good thing about Bowles was he would just – he would constantly say, you know, I have to coach better. Our coaching staff has to coach better. He would put it on himself. Um, Gase doesn't do that as much. And at 0-6, as refreshing as what he was saying this week was to beat writers and to fans – you're going to get tired of that real quick. So I agree with Manish on that. My biggest problem with what Gase did in the, that presser was throwing the players under the bus, especially throwing Robbie under the bus like that. The play that he was talking about with Robbie, he hit that double move and he like slipped coming out of it. It'd be one thing if Robbie just hit the double move and just quit on the route, but he slipped. Uh, I don't like to, to, to really call him out on something like that, um, that that seems especially in the first week, uh, that that seemed a little crazy to me. And you got to think that that's why a lot of players in that Miami locker room were uh, felt alienated by him. He alienated himself with that stuff. Um, you know, he didn't throw out uh, anybody specifically under the bus with cornerbacks, but his comment about the quarterbacks, while absolutely true, I can imagine them not liking that very much. So that's, <clears throat> that's way more of a concern to me than him getting short and snippy with, with uh, writers. I, I don't care about any of that. He can be rude to us. Um, that has no effect on uh, anything that happens on the field or within the locker room or organization be as rude to us as you want. You can take your anger out directly on me. I won't take personally uh, our offense to it. That's fine. I, I don't care about that part. Um, but to, to throwing your players under the bus like that, sidestepping responsibility of your, yourself, that could cause problems in the locker room. And uh, again, sidestepping responsibility that's fans are going to be sick of that real quick. If he keeps doing that week after week. Um, so I I'm still in the middle. I know what Manish is saying. Uh, and I agree with him and I, but I agree with the other beat writers who found it refreshing, but I just think that again, a lot of that, we have a, a different viewpoint and it makes our job easier and more enjoyable when a coach is more honest about stuff like that. But you got you, you got to stay away from throwing your players under the bus. We know it's one thing to call them out in team meetings and in front of the uh, your their teammates. It's another thing entirely to go into a press conference and just just throw them out like that. I would say I'm in that middle ground with you, Chris. I think that it's all fun and games until you lose a lot. You can get away with being a jerk. You can get away with saying certain things about your players, although I wouldn't do it the way that he did it regardless, but you can get away with that if the team is winning, so on and so forth. But as you said, these were a lot of the same things he did in Miami, lost the locker room, lost the trust of a lot of other people in the organization, alienated people. So if he keeps going down this path and the team continues to lose, 
It won't be a good look for him. As I've said to you before, it reminds me of that joke, and I wish I could remember who it was that told this joke, but it's kind of the same way that if you're sitting in a coffee shop or something and a stranger is staring at you, if that stranger is a good-looking stranger, you smile. If the stranger is ugly and you kind of get the creeps and you say, ew, why are you staring at me? I think that's kind of how this goes in terms of the winning and losing. If the guy's a jerk and he's saying these things and he's calling the players out in the public and the team is 5-1 and one or 6-0 and oh and they're on their way to a playoff berth, you say, oh, what a refreshing change. All right, Gase, you give it to the media, so on and so forth. If the team's 0-6 and he's sidestepping responsibility and he's throwing players under the bus and he's being an overall jerk, people are not going to enjoy that very much at all. They're going to say, listen, you talk when you win. And that's kind of the way I felt with Rex Ryan in a different way. Rex was never a jerk or anything like that, but the boasts. It was fine when they were winning, wasn't so fine when they weren't winning. So we'll see what happens with Adam Gase as time goes on. But as I said to Manish the other day, I hope that he learned his lesson in Miami and that he reflects on some of the things that he's doing now, especially, as you said, the sidestepping of responsibility and the calling players out in public and realizes that that might not be his best path. I don't necessarily care that much about the being glib with reporters, although, as I said, I think it's going to wear on people if this team continues to lose. Last order of business, Chris, and more news, and again, news that would have been a big story any other week, but now, because of all this other stuff, it ends up being our last story. The Jets have themselves a new field goal kicker. His name is Sam Ficken, and he might be somebody you want to draft if you join FanDuel and get involved in one of their daily or weekly fantasy leagues, which is a great move because... They do a great job over there, and I love the concept of daily and weekly fantasy leagues. You don't get stuck with the same players all year. Keeps it from getting boring, plus it ensures that one or two players that either get hurt or continuously struggle when you didn't think they were going to can't ruin your team. They've got tons of cash prizes and a lot of ways to cash in on once-in-a-lifetime experiences during every single game every single week. And if you've never played FanDuel Fantasy Football before, I got great news for you. New users get 20 bucks in site credit if they deposit 20 bucks or more. All you have to do is sign up for FanDuel right now and you'll get yourself that 20 bucks. Make your first deposit of 20 or more to get started and you'll get an extra 5 bucks in site credit every week for 4 weeks. Go to fanduel.com/dfsfantasy or download the FanDuel app to take advantage of this unique offer today. So, Chris, tell me about Mr. Sam Ficken. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, hold on. I was, I was so not prepared to talk about Sam Ficken. <laughs> I was I was like what what other news is there what did something else just come out that I I wasn't aware of what uh <laughs> after all this we're talking about Sam Ficken. Uh I really I can't believe it but yeah so Carrie Vidvik is out uh we all saw that part coming Sam Ficken uh was a kicker at Penn State he really struggled early at Penn State then came back and uh was good. He he was spent a little bit of time with the with the Packers before being uh, released. Obviously, uh, you know they still have Mason Crosby there, uh, but you know, we'll have to wait and see. Now, but the other thing is, does it, how much does it even matter? Are they even going to be in position to be kicking field goals now? Um, so 
you know, I don't, I don't know how much hope I would have held for him. Uh, even if everything was good and everybody was healthy for them, it, it would have been a, well, let's see how it turns out on Monday and let's see how he does then. Now it's like, all right, he's, we know he's going to kick off on, for one of the halves, but oh, uh, how much is he going to see the field otherwise? And then we'll just kind of have to wait and see how it plays out. This is the thing with kickers. <clears throat> Unless you're talking about an elite kicker, there's so much variance of, between them. And it can go year to year. It can go team to team, week to week. And it's really hard to look at what they've done in the past and be able to project that going forward. You have to look at the technical aspects of it, which is something Brent Brent Boyer would, would know way more about than I would. Um, so, like, I don't even really feel comfortable, like, digging into it like that. Because I, I don't know enough about the technical aspects of the physical, uh, you know, the motion and all that type of stuff. Um, but this, this is why I am more and more getting to the camp that, hey, spend a, spend a sixth round draft pick on a kicker. Try, try to get a good kicker, somebody you can trust coming out of college. Uh, do, get a Guskowski, a Vinatieri, a, a, a Will Lutz, somebody like that. And then you don't have to worry about that kicker position for 10, 15, 20 years. Um, but like this whole, okay, every year we're just going to find an adequate kicker thing. It's, it, it should be way easier than it is, but it, it isn't easy. We see this. The Jets aren't the only team having trouble here with their kickers. This is a problem with a lot of teams. So teams got to put more focus on this. And I'm not saying, uh, you know, that the Jets – I'm not even saying the Jets were wrong for not paying Jason Myers what he wanted. But you you have to make acquiring a kicker you can trust more of a focus. It can't be the last thing you think about. I think NFL teams all around the league need to reevaluate how, how they take that – consider that position. All I know about Sam Ficken is that apparently he had a good preseason with the Green Bay Packers – and if he does well, there are all kinds of marketing opportunities based around that name. It could just be a shirt that says the Ficken Jets and underneath it is a picture of Sam Ficken. So we'll see if he does well, perhaps some t-shirt opportunities. I just keep thinking about Fickle and Einhorn, Fickle and Einhorn. <laughs> Ficken and Einhorn, Einhorn and yeah. Ficken. Ficken is Einhorn, Einhorn is Ficken. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, Ace Ventura, if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's hilarious. You can find it on Netflix or any of those subscription services, I'm sure, at this point. Chris, thanks so much for hopping on with me for this breaking news. And holy cow, did I not expect there to be this much news and this much big news on a random day during the week leading up to game number two. But we will do plenty more. We've got the mailbag coming later this weekend. We'll do the pregame report, all of that. In the meantime, I know you've got a ton of material up at JetsInsider.com. So what can people expect over there? Yeah, well, I'm gonna. I I gotta get to work right now. I got a, the story up on Quincy. I have the story up on Donald, uh, on Le'Veon Bell. We'll dig into try to find out more information there. Um, and I was I was going to I was started working on an article about you know which offensive line uh, was in mo- more danger and whichever line uh, plays well on Monday night 
has the better chance of winning. I don't know if I'm even going to bother with that one at this point now, but uh, I'll have a, a, a few more matchup stuff uh, coming up with the Browns. And then, uh, I'm, I'm gonna have to, I'll probably do this tomorrow, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to come up with some type of creative gameplay scenarios that Gase can employ to try to do something with Trevor Simeon as the quarterback as opposed to Sam Darnold. Go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Follow his deputy editor, the president of the Calvin Anderson fan club, Alan Schechter, at Alan underscore S-C-H-E-C-H-T-E-R. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.